Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Games We Love podcast. I'm your host, Aaron White, and you are listening to the show that promotes positive gaming discussion, featuring interviews and conversations with passionate gamers, including journalists, developers, podcasters, streamers, critics, and other diehard video game fans about a personal favorite game that they love. In this episode, I am joined by the creator and host of one of my favorite shows, Logan Sharp from the Reform Gamers podcast. Welcome to the show, my friend. Dude, you are so kind. One of your favorite shows? Really? My show? It has become one of my favorite shows. And, wow. You know, and we're going to talk about why. You're going to talk about why, because I'm interviewing you. But, okay. <laughs> you know, it's the niche. It's the niche, man. It's all about, like, you fill a specific void that I mm-hmm. cannot find anywhere else in the same way. And that's very Perfect. special to me. And I think it is for a lot of your listeners, so... Perfect. Yeah, that's that's what I was going for. I'll get into that later, but that's good. To, that's good to know. Good I also to like to Love butter it. up my guests. You know. Oh, well, fair enough. You're doing a good job. All right. Great. <laughs> well, guys, if you don't know, Logan and I are friends, too. So we've talked many, many times. And this is not our maybe not on a podcast. This is our first podcast together. Hopefully it will it be is, our last. Yeah. But uh, we do communicate frequently. So this isn't like a new thing where we're meeting for the first time. <laughs> right. Well, I'd like to start by hearing about your past, and this is where we always want to kind of get to the meat of when did Logan Sharp become a gamer? How far back does that go? What were your first consoles? Tell us some stories about how you got into this great hobby. Well, it was a cold and stormy night in 1991. No, I'm kidding. Uh, You know, I grew up where I grew up in a household that Really loved Nintendo and really loved Super Mario Brothers. So I've been gaming since I I want to say I was in diapers. It, it really feels like I grew up and cut my teeth on Super Mario Brothers, that terrible Ninja Turtles game on the NES with the electric seaweed stuff that me and my brother could never get past. And moved on from that to, to the Sega Genesis where I played a, a ton of Sonic the Hedgehog. And have really just been gaming ever since. Um, I think the only video game consoles I didn't have were, or I never got was the original Xbox, the Wii, and uh, the PlayStation 1 and 2. So, I mean, I've been I've been gaming for a long time. 30 years doesn't seem very long, but boy, does it fly by fast. Wow. I'm, I'm a little shocked, to be honest, when you just said you didn't have PlayStation 1 and 2, because I know you as the platinum guy. I know. I'm a Sony pony. Yeah, but you didn't, you didn't have a 1 and 2. So, I'm going to tangent here. Did you go back and ever play some of the games from the 1 and 2 era when you had your PS3? So I did. I went back and played a lot of, I don't know if I could say a lot, but several of the Final Fantasy games that got put on there, 7, 8, 9, um, 10 was PS2, but I played that as well. And then, of course, I played all of the Metal Gear Solid games, which are phenomenal games. And... I'm sure there's some others I played, but I tried to kind of make the round trip and play a lot of the games that I didn't get to uh, because I didn't have those two systems. Well, that's good. What about platformers? Do you ever get any, any of the platformers? Because that's one thing that the PlayStation always had a great wealth of. So I recently, and when I say recently, I mean like within the, within the last two years, I got into the Spyro games okay. because I played those maybe like in 10 minute bursts at friend's house when I was younger, but I never actually got to play them, play them. And so I got into those ratchet and clank was another one I got into really cool game. And there's one that I'm forgetting, but I can't remember the name of it. Um, but I tried to make it around to those games too. Well, hopefully they all get remastered then because there are 
some amazing games. The Jack and Daxter series is wonderful. The Sly That's Cooper, missed, yeah, Sly, Sly Cooper. Cooper awesome. That was the other. That was the other one I played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. It's fun because those are actually all on PlayStation Now right now, or like a lot of them are. I, I discovered that when I subscribed during this last PlayStation Days sale. And okay. it's exciting because all of those, all the old Ratchet and Clank games, and I grew up on those, and I, I highly recommend them. So if you ever okay. feel the urge, PlayStation Now has a bunch of those good games from that era. Well, you said Sony Pony, and I said you're the Platinum guy. So that kind of tells people one thing about how you game. You definitely mm-hmm. love your PlayStation. But what are some of your other gaming habits? What are your favorite genres and what has happened recently to you that might be moving you out of that PlayStation zone a little bit? I like the subtle beat around the bush there on that. <laughs> uh, for those that maybe don't know, they don't follow me on, on my podcast. I recently built a PC within the last month and have ascended, as people uh, normally say, to the PC master race. And so now I'm discovering uh, FPS things of like over 100 and super fast load times and stupid low discounts on games on Steam, especially during the summer sale. But I I tend to gravitate more towards single-player experiences. I'm not a huge fan of multiplayer. I'll play some games if some friends hit me up, but I tend to gravitate towards the JRPGs, those kind of things that tell these really just good stories that give you a lot of gameplay and things of that nature. So... Uh, in case you guys don't know, I'm a huge fan of Persona. I love Persona 4 Golden. When I when they announced it and dropped it on PC and on Steam, I like lost my ever-loving mind and was just all kinds of giddy. So I tend to steer more towards those kind of games, the single-player experiences, but specifically JRPGs. And if any of you are retro gamers out there and have never played Lost Odyssey on the Xbox 360, look it up. You will enjoy it, I promise. Uh, also buy a box of Kleenexes because you will cry a lot in that game. It's really, really good. Wow, that is a random drop. You know, that's the kind of game I want to cover on this podcast eventually, too. So we'll have to remember that. So if you want to come back in a future season and talk about a game like that, that would be awesome. Because that's a game people do not, most people don't know about. I played it because I was super into RPGs in that Mm -hmm. era as well. But yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. So are you gonna ditch sony in the future when we go into this new generation or how are you gonna balance keeping up with this platinum persona (laughs) so intended (laughs) i like it platinum persona i'm gonna use that on my podcast i you know i've thought about this a lot and a lot of my friends who are gaming on pc told me that once i build my pc i'm not going to want to play on my playstation anymore And i was like that doesn't make any sense i'm the platinum king i'm a sony pony Ride Till I Die kind of Sony fan. So I've been playing games on my PC, and I went back to my my PS4 to play one of the older Batman games and was like, okay, I'm going to get the Platinum for this game because I love Batman and I love Platinum trophies. And when I booted it up, I was like, this game runs so horribly that even on boost mode on my PS4 Pro doesn't, doesn't really make up the difference. And... That and then the fact that I keep getting disconnected or having issues when I try to play Destiny 2 with friends on my PS4 have have done a really good job of pushing me towards just PC onlyism, as I call it. So I, I don't know. I would like to get a PS5, but I might just stick with my PC at this point. That was not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't think a lot okay. Of people expect that from me, but woo. I mean, 
Shots PC fired. gaming is a, it's a whole other thing, man. It, it's a whole other world that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you'll probably end up getting one, I would say, eventually. At oh, some point, sure. most likely. But yeah. yeah once, um, they, uh, once they drop Spider-Man 2, I'm like, all right, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, man. Exclusives for people like us who really do gravitate toward those single-player experiences, that's one thing that PlayStation has that has kept us there. And yep. unfortunately, even with them coming eventually to PC, I don't know that many people are going to want to wait that long to get to yeah. them. I'm not I'm not very patient, so I will probably just buy a PS5 and then just play Spider-Man 2 or God of War 2, whatever comes out first. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about your podcast, because as I mentioned, you have a very unique podcast in the gaming yeah. world. This is a show that blends the topics of talking video games with talking Christian theology. So how did you come up with that idea, and what is your main goal for this show? Like, What is it that you want to achieve with the Reformed Gamers? I think you you hit it on the head earlier when you said that it fills a very niche kind of void within podcasting because when I was thinking of the show and and what I wanted to do with it, it came from me looking for podcasts that were doing what we're doing now. And back then, and let me see, we've been doing this for over five years now. So back in 2015, I, I didn't find any podcasts that were doing it. Like I found a lot of Christian gaming podcasts. But it's you couldn't really tell that they were a Christian gaming podcast. They were basically just family friendly. They didn't cuss or anything like that. And they just talked about like whatever, whatever was kind of big at the time. I'm like, this doesn't really distinguish you from anyone else. And so what I was looking for was something that was like, okay, I know I believe that video games are a gift from God. They're to be enjoyed. And the question then becomes, well, what does that look like? How do we go about doing that? Are, are things like ROMs okay for Christians to engage with? You know, I, I wanted Christians to talk about those things from a biblical perspective, and no one was doing it. So I thought, well, screw it. I read two John Acuff books, so I'm going to go do it and get the materials and do it myself. And and I just kind of rolled with it. I didn't really uh, – we didn't start off big or anything like that. But, I mean, over the years, we've, we've hit our strides here and there. And, and, I mean, the show this year, 2020, is a – a really, really weird year, but for the show, it's been growing in a lot of ways, and we've been interacting with a lot of people, and we've been hearing from people like, man, this show was what I was looking for, and this helps me to actually enjoy my games to a deeper level and challenges me to think more critically about the games I play and the content I engage with, and so that's kind of what it is. We, that's what we're trying to really do. We're never, I mean, for maybe those that are new to the, the show or have never heard of us, we're not going to go on there and tell you uh, if you play Grand Theft Auto, you're in sin or anything like that. But we will ask some thought-provoking questions to get you to, to think about some of the stuff in games like that or The Witcher 3 or whatever. Um, and like I said, we're never going to tell you to not play a game unless it's just like straight up like porn or something like that. But we just like to ask questions, get into the Bible, and just think through these things and talk that stuff out and... It's been uh, helping people from what we've been hearing over the last five years. Yeah, it's really great. And I think that you guys are also very accessible. You don't put off a vibe that, in my opinion, is exclusionary for people who may not be Christians. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's great. It's a great place for people who might want to even come explore. What does that mean to people? Like, how do how do these people that are Christians, I may have friend, Christian friends, but I have never been, you know, a Christ follower, not a churchgoer myself. Well, how do they approach things? Well, you can listen to your podcast and get a sense of that. And I agree. It is also very different than some of the things. There's different. There's a difference in being a Christian 
and having a podcast and right. being a podcast about being a Christian in a sense. Um, I, I'm, you know, my co-host and I for feel and film are both Christians and it definitely informs our worldview and how we look at movies, but we don't talk about them from a theological perspective as some of the right. friends that you and I have do on their shows. And so I, that's what I really love about yours. And I, I definitely hope people will check it out. What would you say are some of your best episodes and also your proudest moments in the history of TRG so far? Oh man. Um, this is like asking me to pick between uh favorite child. children. Yeah. Um, you, honestly, uh, you guys can just skip the entire first year of the show. <laughs> That's when we were kind of a train wreck. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I mean, I made some notes cause I was trying to think of what would be some ones I would actually recommend. And for folks that really love the God of War reboot sequel thing, uh, back in 2018, episode 121 was really good. We talked about themes of fatherhood, uh, masculinity, um, well, there's one other thing we, we try to come up with or that we talked about, but I can't remember what it is. That was a good one. We had Bill Gardner on from the Deep End Games in episode 51. We talked about his game called Perception, which if you've never heard of it, it's a horror game where you play as a blind woman who uses echolocation to explore this haunted house. It's really cool. Um, and so you guys can listen to that, find out how they got influences for the game and things like that. But other things, other episodes, I mean, 115 gives you a good idea of what we're all about on the show. Um, and then you can do episode 86 that talks about politics in games. Cause you hear a lot of people say like, keep your politics out of games. And we actually kind of went at it at a different approach. So that was a, a fun one to do, but there's a lot of them on there. You can, you can check out our website, reformgamers.com or the reformgamers.com and just kind of look through there, see which one stands out to you and give it a listen. Awesome. I, I'm making notes cause I haven't listened to the God of War episode yet. And I definitely want to do that. It's, it's one of my favorites. What are there? Yeah. Have you any other big accomplishments? I mean, I know I'm a big fan of the community you've built. So you have this yeah. really active Discord channel. You also have a really active and large and growing Facebook group, which yeah. I think is amazing. How did all that come to be? So this is where we kind of – it was one of those like right moment sort of things where we started off from a pretty big Facebook group that's still huge to this day called the Reform Pub that was brought out from their podcast, the Reform Cubcast. And there's a lot of gamers in there, but a lot of the gaming posts are taking up their feeds. And so people just were like, let's just make a spinoff group. They called it the Reform Pub Video Gamers. And I was like, hey, we should have a podcast for this. And that's kind of around the time I was thinking of doing a show. And uh, yeah, so we kind of came out of that. But really ever since then, it's just been uh, me studying social media, what what makes an effective social media strategy and things like that. So I listen to people like uh, John Acuff, as I mentioned earlier, Gary V and a few other people. And um, just started networking with people. People were listening to the show because of that. And, and then they started joining the communities and it's just, it's blown up. It's, it's been crazy to see because I never expected the show to be to where it is today or the community to be as big as it is, or even as interactive as it is, uh, as it is today. Um, but there's one moment specifically that I can bring up that I will never forget with our community. This is where it really just kind of uh, took me back and made me go, man, th like, like th th we made this, you know? Um, and you guys will learn from me talking a lot. Uh, words are hard for me, so I'll tend to fumble over words or mispronounce them. It's a thing that we have with our show. But during this, uh, I forget which hurricane it was. It was a couple years ago that went through the southern part of Texas and uh, parts of Louisiana and really just the whole Gulf. We... One of our listeners was in an area that was really just affected by it. He, he lost his 
Um, his house was still standing, but he lost a lot of his possessions, his car, a lot of valuables and things like that. And, and he was the kind of guy that wasn't really, he doesn't ask for help. And, and I can relate to that. I'm the same way, but a lot of people were reaching out to him like, dude, I want to help out. How can we donate stuff like that? How can we help you? And he didn't want to set up a GoFundMe, but a lot of people kind of just kept pressuring him and he did. And, oh man, I'm going to tear up thinking about it. It was cool to see our community rally together and just support this one guy that was part of our community that listened to the podcast. He was active in the community. And because of our community, he was able to replace his car, pay for a lot of the damages to his house, um, get a lot of the essentials that he needed. Um, and I think pay for some medical bills too along the way. So it just, it, it was a moment that just took us all kind of aback and was like, dude, our community like really cares about each other and wants to support each other. And, and they still find little ways to do that. I mean, with this whole COVID thing and people losing jobs, they've been finding different ways to support one another, or even just get people together for a gaming night to kind of give them a, a ear to, to talk to or just a, a friend to be there and, our community is just really awesome in that way. And I think that's probably the thing that I'm the most proud of is how our community just take care. They just <laughs> words are hard. Our community takes care of one another in a really good way, especially now with PC building. I mean, everybody's giving each other advice and trying to help each other find deals and stuff. And so it's our community is probably my favorite thing about the show, to be honest, man, that's an awesome story. That's, it's, that's beautiful. And that's really cool. I mean, that's not, everybody doesn't have that to share. And I think it's special and, you know, people, oh, hey, you just play video games for fun. Well, here's an exact example of what just doing this thing as a hobby, but having a community that you can share that passion with yeah, can bring for you. I mean, without that, who knows? You know, this guy may not have had those opportunities to replace that stuff. So that, that is amazing. I agree. I can back up the shout out there for the PC building part because you got me wanting to do it. And so then yeah. I started, I started rebuilding my new gaming PC and I got so many great uh, helpful hints and information from your community specifically. There are people there that helped me just put everything together and I had no idea what I was doing. So yeah. I highly recommend that. If you, if you need that help, this is a good place to go for it. Well, do you have any remaining goals uh, regarding games or games media? Are you kind of just chilling where you're at? I know you're tw Twitch streaming. So like, what yeah. do you see in the future for yourself and reform gamers? I I don't know, man. Like I've got this crazy dream that I would love for TRG to be kind of like the uh, the Christian version of IGN or something like that. But that that's such a huge dream of mine that I don't. It, it's one of the things that I, I would like to happen, but I don't really know if it will because I don't know how likely that is. So really, it's just kind of right now. I just want to keep cranking out good content for people to listen to. I want to keep hanging out with people, meeting new people, and uh, Twitch is another avenue that I've been able to do that. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I just want to be creative, want to have fun, want to put out resources for people and just help people. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how that goes. I like it. Big goals. Keep me in mind when you're ready. <laughs> we'll do. I'll apply. <laughs> well, let's talk about some games. This is a games podcast as well. And I want to hear about some of the things that first that you've been playing, let's say in the last six months. Have you had any favorite experience? We like to keep things positive and we want to talk about something that is worth promoting for people to go check out. So any gaming shout outs you have? Yeah, yeah. I've got one that I can talk about. I mean, I have a few, but I'll keep it down just to one because if you let me talk about 
any more than just one, I'll, we'll be here all night. But I started playing Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition on the Nintendo Switch when that came out, and this was a game that I originally had on the 3DS, really enjoyed it on there, but I never finished it. And so when I found out that they were putting it on the Switch, I was like, yes, I'm going to finally get to finish this game. Uh, it's going to have updated visuals. It's going to have some new content. It's I'm going to be able to play it on the go, so it's going to be great for that. And so far, I'm about, I think, 40 hours into the game. And this game, this is going to surprise people because people that, that know me know I love Persona 4 Golden. It is one of my favorite JRPGs of all time. But this game might overtake it in some areas of storytelling because Xenoblade does these these things. And I can't get into it without getting into spoilers, so I'm not going to ruin it for anybody. But... The writing in the game is really, really good to where it gets you to feel for these characters, and all these characters are well-written, they have their own motivations for why they're helping the main character, and you see them change throughout the story, because really what Xenoblade Chronicles is, it's a revenge story. It's about this one character who's going after these giant robots that you know attacked his village and have been trying to kill humans for years. And so he's going after it, but as you go through the story, it these certain mysteries start coming up, you start learning more information, twists start happening, and it just it has a way of getting you excited, getting you scared, getting you thrilled, and in some cases, making you cry, which I'll admit, I, I cried a little bit in this one scene that I just experienced 40 hours forty hours in. But so between the awesome storytelling the great music, the the huge set pieces. If you've never played a Xenoblade game before, the worlds and the areas you explore are massive, and they're awesome. They're kind of like Monster Hunter World in, in that regard. And even the combat's really good, too. It's You can link moves together. It's it's all around a, a great time, and there's tons of side quests. There's plenty of stuff to do in this game, and it's a game that's helping me to realize that in order for me to appreciate games... I need to slow down every now and then and kind of take some take some aspects into the game, into my gameplay that I wouldn't normally do. Like I'm doing a lot of side quests, learning characters, unlocking these side conversations with the characters and the team and learning more about them. And, and it's it's the game I needed right now because doing the show, a rut we fall into from time to time is we want to play games really, really fast and get through them so we can talk about them on the show. But this game is like, you got to pump the brakes and you got to enjoy the ride, um, however slow that may be. And so... I've been I've been really really enjoying this game. It's been a blast to play through. Well, that's awesome. That's I'm really glad to hear that. And well, I'm also not glad to hear that because the problem is like, <laughs> now you're making me want to play. And I I do not need another gigantic amazing JRPG to put into my backlog. But yeah. I totally feel you and it sounds great. And I know the reviews have been really outstanding across mm-hmm. the board. So, yeah, sounds like something that people should check. Do you I wonder I guess you wouldn't know whether or not it's worth playing for people who played the original. Like, I wonder how much different it is or how much of an upgrade it is, visually so, speaking. From from what I understand, um, as far as, like, the difference between the original and this one, there's, like, some new content that you can unlock after you finish the game, I think is when it is. And there's a whole different tab in the menu that says, you know, play this after you finish the game. But... The visual differences are massive. It is night and day difference. Um, the original game looks like a PlayStation 1 game, whereas this one looks like early PS3 era, so it's a huge difference. It's 
got remastered music and all that. I, it's definitely the definitive edition. Uh, so that title and its name is um, not just a, a way to get people to spend an extra $60 on a game that they played a couple years ago. Um, it's definitely the one that folks should play uh, instead of playing it on the Wii or the 3DS. Awesome. Well, cool, man. I appreciate you mentioning that one. Well, I want to talk about something much smaller, like infinitesimally smaller than okay. a gigantic JRPG, as in a game that you can beat in like 10 minutes, technically, for a trophy. You have to do that. But this game is called <laughs> Gone Home. I don't know. Have you played Gone Home, Logan? Uh, is this the one where you play as the girl and you come home to this sounds exactly like what remains of Edith Finch too. I know what game you're talking about, but, but, uh, yeah, yes, go for it. That's it. That's it. So Gone Home, uh, came out in 2013 for PC by a small studio named Fulbright. And the studio as actually was made up of former staff, three of them who had, worked together on Minerva's Den, which was a single-player expansion to Bioshock 2. So they were Bioshock devs. Uh, And they split off, and they came to work and live in a house together while they made this game. Fascinating thing. And I think there's four maybe people all together, but three of them had been from uh, the Bioshock developer originally. And what this game is, is a first-person... I, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it, and I don't mean it negatively, but it is a walking simulator. And I say that because <laughs> yeah. this is one of the games that really helped spawn that term. And games, future games, like Firewatch and What Remains of Edith Finch, things like that have come after. But Gone Home was one of the beginning games to kind of make that genre a thing. And it was born out of an idea and a desire to focus on telling an empathetic story in first person that lacked gun-based gameplay. It was a really interesting choice that I chose to play this this week for this podcast episode because I just finished finished playing The Last of Us 2. Oh, wow. And one of the big things with The Last of Us 2 that came up yet again, pretty much any time a Naughty Dog game comes out and ironically also links back to the Bioshock series is ludonarrative dissonance. And I don't want to get into a big topic about that. There's like a, you could do like a ton of, podcasts just on ludonarrative dissonance but the idea of ludonarrative dissonance meaning that gamers kind of get detached from the gameplay itself meaning video games tend to have one thing in mind and that's you kill no matter what else is happening in your story to get from point a to point b your gameplay typically involves attack kill shoot murder something and they wanted to try and break away from that and so Gone Home does that by telling this story about a young girl who is coming home. She's been overseas for a year. She's coming home to see her family, her parents, and her sister. And it's set in the year 1995 in Oregon, in this rural kind of out in the bout in the woods area. And she comes home and nobody's in the house. And it literally starts with you trying to find a key to get into the house. And the gameplay is as simple as it gets. You walk around the house, you click on things to interact with them, you can read them sometimes. There's notes and there's like a buttons and you can pick up, you can look at the back of them, and that's what you do. You walk around and you click things. So it's a point and click adventure, essentially, and through doing this, as you pick up certain objects, you will get audio diary entries, which are the sister leaving you journal entries, essentially, about what has happened and 
telling a story and it start you start to piece it together and really you're mostly open to approaching this however you want you could go upstairs and check out that area you can go to the right check out you know a kitchen you can go to the left whatever you want to do there will be gates where you can't get through to certain areas until you may need to find a specific piece of information and so there's sort of like a, a very light puzzle solving element to it i guess you could say so you need to like find a couple pieces of somebody's safe combination in order to open the safe which will get you a key to get into this new area of the house and there are pieces of that that are tied to game progression, and there are pieces of that that are tied to just getting extra information that don't actually have anything to do with finishing the game, but absolutely give you more context. And I loved it. I thought it was incredible. Uh, the story is definitely a really emotional one, and I really got into it, man. I played the whole thing on stream. And I put it up on my YouTube channel so that anybody could go back and watch my entire playthrough of it if they were so inclined. But, like, I just I felt so immersed in this house and in this this girl's shoes, essentially. And you would pick up a scrap of paper and read about a, a mom who is, you know, going to hang out with this new employee at her work. And then you would go and you would find another phone message from, say, a friend of hers who left a phone message saying something about how cute that guy was. And, oh, my gosh, you know, I hope you don't get too close. And in me, I'm reacting in real time going, oh, no, please, no, no, I hope this isn't going to happen. And you start to, you know, piece together maybe what has happened in these relationships, where things have broken down. And it's fascinating the way it works out because you kind of start to understand as a player and you're like, man, I wish that this family, I wish I could fix this family, but you're you're not in a position to do that. You don't ever even actually interact with the family. You don't meet them at any point. You're just learning about their lives. And it's like a very in the moment, like one piece of time kind of experience. And, and I just loved it. I thought it was amazing and so simple, but yet so powerful. And it makes me really excited to play What Remains of Edith Finch, because I know that everybody considers that kind of like the pinnacle of the genre and i have yet to play it but i wanted to start with this one and i'm really glad i did because i think this is also very very good and something that people should check out yeah man i uh i'll even say that if you really like this one you're gonna love what remains of eat the finch it's really really good which shameless plug we also did an episode on so there's that oh good well when i finish it i will be able to go listen to that one too but I'm yeah, not listening man. to it before then. Are you? I, I should ask that. Are you a spoiler podcast or are you a non-spoiler podcast? So kind of what we do with our shows where we take an in-depth look at a specific game, we are spoiler-free up until a point, and then we give you like – it feels like two to three minutes of spoiler warnings. And so if you're listening past that, it's kind of your own fault. So it, up to a point, it's spoiler-free, and then once we give you the spoiler warning, that's when you duck out if you don't want spoilers anyway. That's good. I like spoiler warnings. In fact, I'm going to give one right now. So <laughs> it just feels like the perfect segue. We're going to move in and we're going to talk about the big one. And in this case, the game is Titanfall 2. So if you haven't played the Titanfall 2 campaign, we're going to spoil it. I don't know that it matters that much, but I'm warning you anyway. Sometimes it matters to people. Sometimes it doesn't. So you've been warned. Here we go. Logan, when I start this section, I always ask the same question to begin with. 
when I ask these guests to come on and I say, hey, what do you want to talk about? What are some of your favorite games? It's always fascinating to me to find out what those lists look like, and often it's very surprising. One of the games you mentioned was this one, Titanfall 2. So why is this a favorite game for you? Because this game is, it it fires on all cylinders in every single area from both the story and its characters to the music to the gameplay to the way the guns feel to the way that the whole parkour system works. It's, to me, in my opinion, the perfect first person shooter. And it's a game that when this game came out in 2016, I was banging the drum on the podcast for the longest time like, Go play this game. Uh, I know this game released in between, I think it was like Battlefield 5 and one of the Call Call of Duty games. And I was like, forget those games. You guys have been wanting some kind of new first-person shooter. Titanfall 2 is it. Get in there, play it. Uh, Because I just, I love that game. I loved it so much I bought it for several friends, mainly because I wanted people to play with. But I also (laughs) was just like, I want people to experience this game with me because it's, it's so stinking good. It, it's it's awesome, and we'll get into some of the reasons why. But um, yeah, it's just it's my favorite first person shooter, and I just and I love the character of BT, who's your giant robot buddy cop sidekick. How does it make you feel when you're playing it? The 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 versus another first person shooter. Yeah, so I guess for me that this feels like an adrenaline induced euphoric roller coaster ride. You know. I was playing the game um, leading up to this, and it was talking about the relationship between pilots and titans. And for those that maybe have never seen this game, titans are these giant robots that you can get into and pilot, and they have different sets of abilities. They're mechs. Pilot, they're <laughs> giant mechs is really what it is. Yeah. Um, and so for me, someone who's also like not like super into anime, but I do love like mecha-style anime, like Neon Genesis Evangelion is one of my favorite anime shows of all time. And so... You combine that with solid gameplay mechanics where your pilot is essentially Master Chief. It's the perfect blending of both worlds where when you're the pilot, you're fast, you're fluid, you're agile, you get in, you get out quick. When you're in your Titan, you're smashing things and you are holding off armies of robots, soldiers, turrets, all that stuff. It's in a lot of ways, you kind of feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his action movies because there's all these explosions going off, there's gunfire, but it's like you're an unstoppable force. And they actually mentioned that in the opening cinematic of the game, how Titans are these unstoppable forces um, that can only be stopped by, like, if if they quit or if they meet another skilled pilot. And just the variety, it, it just makes me happy, man. Like, <laughs> there's no other way to say it. It gets me really giddy to play this game. I love the, the fast, frenetic combat. The, the music when it gets in, the Titans, it's just, yeah, it makes me happy. Well, I was hoping you would say that, honestly, because that is how I feel when I play this campaign, too, especially. Like, it is giddy. It is a pure sense of joy. And I know most first-person shooter campaigns try to be very similar. They're short-ish, you know, usually 10 hours or less, and they try to have a propulsive nature about them for the most part. But there is something extremely unique about the propulsive nature of this one. It is balls to the wall from the start. Like There's yeah. no really slowdown, and it just gets crazy, crazy, crazy as you go more and more. And like you said, with the mix of the music and the action and everything kind of ramping up, you are giddy. You're, it's so much fun, and so you feel almost OP 
to an extent. Of course, there's skill involved and there's challenge, but you're, you, you feel like you're a superhero in this world. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible, uh, the feeling that it evokes in you. Well, I want to talk about that campaign. So for this game, it is often referenced as one of the best in the genre. And I don't think anyone who hasn't played it quite understands that, but everybody that has played it tends to think, yeah, I think that way. The plot is really kind of generic. Honestly, I'd say it might be its weakest point, if anything, but it's about a sci-fi, it's a sci-fi story that revolves around the Interstellar Manufacturing Corporation, the IMC, and the Frontier Militia. And they are battling for control of this interstellar area called the Frontier that is, you know, way away from Earth. Very typical sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm. The militia just wants independence, and the IMC wants to exploit rich planetary resources regardless of harm to civilians or the environment. So think Avatar, <laughs> essentially. And which in more ways than one, I guess, because that game has Titans or mechs too. Mm-hmm. Or that not game, that movie. Um, but you're playing in this game as a guy named Rifleman Jack Cooper, who ends up being thrust into action as a Titan pilot, which is generally something that in this world, you know, you have to work your way up to, you have to get trained for, you have to be mm-hmm. certified. He's kind of working on that, but he gets thrust into that when he's out on a military op and his captain is killed. And so in order to succeed and live, he's got to get into this Titan for the first time. So what makes this story work for you or, or is it throwaway for you? And it really is all about the action. I I think for me, it's a mixture of both actually. Like I love how simplistic it is. You know, when you try to play one of the new call of duty games, they try to bring in all the stuff like, you know, this faction over here has sleeper cells here and there's this espionage stuff going off here. And then there's this like secret proxy war going. It's just like, Okay, this is this is too much, right? But this is just like here's these two factions, they're fighting each other. There's some other factions that kind of come into play during later during the later gameplay segments. But you're this you're this pilot, you get put in a situation, and now you have to take up the mantle of a pilot and continue fighting uh this war. And, and it's just that straightforward. And so I think for some it's throwaway, and, and for me it kinda is. Like that's I don't really go to Titanfall 2 for the story. But I do go to Titanfall 2 for the characters because the interaction between Jack and BT, the uh, Titan that he gets paired with, Amazing. is – I said Buddy Cop earlier, and, and I'm kind of – like that's kind of accurate because they have really this is. banter back and forth of what you would expect between a human that has sarcasm and, and just an AI robot that doesn't really understand that but slowly starts to understand it throughout the game. And in a way, he becomes – more human because of that, and they learn to lean on each other. And I just realized this game is more similar to Terminator 2 than what I originally thought. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it too. But as far as the story, it's it's not really so much the story. I think it's the those two characters are really what make Titanfall 2 special is Jack and BT's relationship. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, like 110%. I think their relationship is what I was excited about. And there's a fair amount of dialogue between the two of them and they kind of take to each other right away. So it's all friendly, but it's fun. And it's, it's it's definitely buddy cop. It's got that banter. Like, and what's also fun about it is the game gives you a pretty simplistic dialogue option choice where quite often Jack, your character will be given 
one of two choices in how he wants to respond. And so you can kind of make him be a little more sarcastic or witty. You can make him be a little more straightforward. And it evokes a different response from BT, you know, and I, and I really enjoyed that for some reason, just having that choice, even as small as it was, made me feel like I was more connected to their relationship. Like I was actually helping push it along. And so when it starts to get emotional, I'm finding myself like really caring about this sentient NPC robot in a way that I never thought I would. Right. And he also, the voice actor, I had to look it up. He didn't voice Optimus Prime, but I can tell you he sounds a lot like Optimus Prime. Yeah, he does. Which is a good thing in this game because you're like thinking of him as sort of like a transformer, like father figure. And he treats the pilot that way. And it's, man, I couldn't agree more. I I love, 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 loved their relationship. And I I just ate it up. I just wanted more. And the villains are, they're stock, but they are appropriately over the top. Right. And charismatic. Especially (laughs) Richter, who was basically Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Dude, I actually looked that up, too. I looked up the voice because I was like, is this Arnie? Because he sounds exactly like him. Yeah. Um, it, it is. It's fun. And for those that don't know, I'll briefly say this was a game developed by Respawn Studios, who went on to create Apex Legends. In fact, the group of uh, mercenaries that you're fighting against in this game, um, some of them are part of a group called the Apex Predators, which is fun. And I sent you a screenshot at the end of the game, Logan, how yeah. like one of them puts this card on the window of your Titan that says Apex and wants you to join and he is believed to be the founder of the Apex Legends uh, arena and tournament. So that game takes place, Apex Legends does, in this same universe, which I don't know. I, I love little things like that. Mm-hmm. But you can definitely see the influence of the gameplay from Titanfall in Apex Legends. So let's talk about the Titan. What is it like playing this the Titan for you? It's It's kind of like... And this is probably getting a little too deep, but I'm going to go here anyway. You know, I was as a kid, you know, I got picked on a lot because I was a nerd. I was into video games, so it kind of happened. And so I always looked up to superheroes, right, or Transformers, as you brought up. You know, and I was like, man, th- it would be so cool to have those guys to hang out with. But here you have a game where you are those characters that we looked up to growing up. And when you play as a Titan, you really do feel like a force to be reckoned with. And when you get to the multiplayer, you have different types of Titans that have different abilities. Like one, uh, you have the Scorch Titan that uses fire. You have the um, Ion one, which is more similar to BT. Then you have like a Ronin who's like a really quick samurai kind of Titan. So it, it depends on what kind of play style you like, but you really get to find a Titan that suits your personality. And then you just feel like this lumbering hulk of machinery and devastation that just puts you on a total power trip um, in, in a lot of different ways. And, and it just, it feels good to play, you know, especially when you learn how to use the boosters and you're zipping around uh, in between attacks and you're using your, your different tactical tools. It's, it's a rush, man. Yeah. I really like the controls. I think that is imperative here. The controls are perfectly tuned and it's quick, but it's not twitchy. Yeah. And it just, you mentioned parkour. We'll talk about that more with the pilot, but even with the way that some different loadouts for BT and different Titan perks can let you, you know, float up in the air or hover, or some can do the quick 
you know, maneuver where you zip to someone and someone, you know, zip back. And it's really fun. I, I like the way that in the campaign, BT is able to get all of the different loadouts that eventually you can play as in multiplayer. The difference being is when you play them in multiplayer, your Titan looks different. Like if you're a Ronin, you're actually a smaller Titan who right. can't take as much damage. Whereas in the campaign, you can use the same loadout where you get to use the sword, which is I can never get enough of doing that, by the <laughs> yeah. way. Um, but you're BT, so you're a bigger Titan. But I like that because it lets you kind of play with all of them. And you do as part of the story. So you get to experience all the different loadouts. And then you go into multiplayer and you're like, all right, I know what I like. And I right. want to play as this. Um, so that's fun. But yeah, I it just, there is something, I think, very special about the reason that it lets you play as a Titan and as the pilot back and forth. and never lets you get comfortable as one for too long and it allows you to enjoy being the titan more if i was just playing a mech game where i was the titan for eight and a half hours i would get to the point where i would be like okay i'm doing the same thing and yeah i'm powerful but i'm just powerful but when you play as jack the pilot and you're alternating you're always remade aware of like oh crap, there's a Titan, like, and that thing can step on me, <laughs> you know, right. and like, and I've got to be different in order to be successful. So what's it like playing as Jack that I think, or maybe it doesn't, I'm assuming it evokes that same feeling for you, but like, what does playing as Jack do that's different? I think it's just the, the, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. I guess the, the agile nature of it. Um, the fluidity of it, how you can move really, really fast and you get different kinds of tools to use at your disposal. I mean, there's one level where you're using something that allows you to basically be nightcrawler uh, and teleport in and out of certain situations, which is just so much fun to play with. Time travel device? That thing is nuts. Yeah. So it's, oh, gosh, I had so much fun with that level, just teleporting back. And anyway, I'm not going to get into it, but there's that and then there's the verticality of it, right? With the with the Titan, you're you're kind of stationary. You're kind of in one zone or you're in one just set kind of plane of existence. Whereas a pilot, you can run on walls to get up to higher locations, you can slide under, underneath uh door frames to get into different rooms. Like you have a lot more options in terms of exploration and, and seeing kind of what is in the world, but also getting to your enemies. And one of the other fun things about playing as a Titan is or playing as the pilot is that you still have limited control over your Titan. You can tell it to go to a specific position. You can have it stay in guarded position if you're trying to disarm something. So in a way, you're never really fully disconnected from your Titan. You're still connected in a way. And that just helps reinforce that relationship between Jack and BT that you guys are one unit, essentially. You guys are um, one team. And so it's it's cool to, to see that. And you really feel like you, you have someone there helping you. Like the AI for your Titan is relatively smart. And so it's it just continues to add to that experience of how you're separated, but you're still one in a, in a sort of way. Yeah, I would definitely agree with all of that. I liked playing as a pilot more than I expected. You know, I thought very much that, oh, yeah, I'm going to love playing as a Titan, but then it's going to kind of be boring when you're the pilot. And it's just not the case. And I think the yeah. wall running is a big part of that because you do it frequently in almost all levels. The parkour, as you said, it's just something that you just don't do in other first-person shooters yeah. <laughs> ever. Like, it doesn't and exist. When, and then when you throw in the grapple hook, too, and you're chaining together wall runs and doing different attacks, like, 
it's a mixture of feeling like Spider-Man and Master Chief all at the same time. Yeah. And they're hard. Let me let me say some of these sections, these platforming puzzle like sections are very challenging and difficult. So if you're like me and you play Destiny 2 and you try to do these raids with platforming sections and you <laughs> just keep falling into the abyss over and over, you're going to maybe struggle just a little bit here at yeah. times. But they're not overwhelming and it's only in a couple of the levels. Um, and I and it, one of the cool features about this game is it has this thing called a ghost runner where I don't know if you can trigger it by just standing still before you go. But I know if you mess up a couple of times, you can trigger this AI like hologram that will run the course of this challenging section that you're facing at the moment. And it'll show you how you need to do it. Now, obviously, as a player, you still have to execute that. But I love that. I thought it was really yeah. cool because and you can choose to use it. So it's I, it's great. Player choice is awesome in games because sometimes I was like, no, I'm going to beat this on my own dadgummit. I'm going to <laughs> succeed. And other times in the game, I'll be honest, I was like, oh, please tell me what am I doing wrong? I don't understand. And it would show me with the Ghost Runner something special that I had missed. And so I really enjoyed that. Um, and then the, the other thing about the pistol, there's this pistol. Sorry. At the very end of the game, you get. Yeah, I know which one you're and talking about. We're talking spoilers, so I don't care. But like when you're the pilot toward the end of the game, your Titan has been destroyed temporarily. And you get this kit out of the eye of the Titan that is stored there for the pilots to, to use in case of incredible emergency. It's called the Seer Kit, and this pistol is like a Seer pistol. And when you pick it up, it tells you it has like auto lock on targeting and like one hit kill or something. And I was like, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, sure, right, sure. Like, it's not really going to be like a one-hit kill. This thing is insane. I don't know if I've ever played a first-person shooter where it, like, allowed me to just sprint through a level. And this thing is, it's an OP weapon. I mean, yeah. you could never use it in a multiplayer game. But for a very small section of this campaign, it felt so cool. It was like... In the world, the way that they had built it, you know, there's this incredible, powerful weapon that you're it's almost like they're protecting it. Like, you know, why wouldn't you use that at all times? It's like we're going to protect this technology and it's only going to be used in case of dire emergency to save your life and to save the world, essentially. And you get to use it for a section and it is the most fun I may have ever had in a first person shooter in that just five minute section of running through this world and just holding down a button every once in a while and just bullets everywhere and they just immediately take everybody down and it's visceral too by the way like if you you know this game the way that people die <laughs> is not just like a normal grunt in some games like you know heads will pop off if you hit headshots and they will bloodily kind of like be pushed back by the powerful weapons and it's uh the feeling of power when you're running through these levels is amazing yeah, that was one of my favorite sections. Just I remember when you pick it up and you see that little lock-on reticle atta like attached to some people, and you pull the trigger and it just takes them down. And you're like, all right, let's go. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, I can do this. Oh my goodness, yes, it's so much fun. Well, multiplayer is actually where back in the day I played Titanfall two. I hadn't played the campaign yet until recently, and I loved the multiplayer. So I wanted to ask you a couple things. How do you feel like the multiplayer in this game stands out and makes it different from all the other first-person shooters that are multiplayer-based out there? And then did you have any favorite Titans to use when you play this game multiplayer? Yeah, I think what makes this game stand out in regards to its multiplayer 
is the verticality of its levels. And we've played Halo before. We've played some Call of Duty maps where there's a second floor, so to speak, of the maps. But this game on some maps has a third or a fourth floor sort of thing because you can scale up the buildings. You can go into um, apartment buildings. You can go into garages. Like There's so many places for you to position yourself and flank the other team and use tools and things like that that really just makes it stand out and a little more strategic in that sense and in my experience a little more fun and so you you have that to use and then plus you have the addition of the titans that give you essentially another ai partner uh to use to either hold down a, a zone that you're trying to take or go into the enemy uh spawn point and just kind of distract them a little bit and freak them out a little bit so your team can recuperate and go in it's just there's a lot of cool tools that you can use that make it stand out in, in that regard. And I played it, I don't know how many hours, but I know I played it a ton. I think it was my most played game in, in 2016 and early 2017. I think probably my most used Titan was called Scorch. It was the one that would use uh, gas tanks and the kind of like flame wall things. I, uh, I used that one the most because I loved how it was really good at zone defense and it allowed my teams to – it would allow me to funnel the enemy team into where my team was, and they would just get taken down so fast. And it, it was always fun for me um, to see, like, the enemy rushing me and thinking that they've got me cornered, so to speak. But then I would drop the gas tank and then ignite it, and then they would all just get roasted. And so it was the one I loved the most. And I love the big, bulky-looking robots. I just love that tank kind of look. And so it uh it was it was my go-to titan um whenever I played the game. What about you? Yeah, I actually was a big fan of Scorch as well. I generally yes. like fire-based weapons. Um any game that lets me have a flamethrower gets me really excited because I'm like, oh, that's so rare, you know. It's like yeah. not the normal loadout. So I really like Scorch. I also really like the side weapon, I don't know what you want to call it, but like he has an ability where a lot of them have shields. And one of my favorite shields is not Scorches, where you can put up the shield and it will catch projectiles that are coming at you and yeah. you throw them back at the enemy, which is I think is a really cool mechanic. But Scorch's shield is obviously fire, and you just can walk over like guys on the ground, and it just melts everything yeah. that you walk past. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, my other favorite one was Ronin. I didn't play it as a ton because I was bad. Mm-hmm. And and it's really hard to be really successful at because you were weaker as far as easier to take down. Right. But just just being a little robot with a sword, man. I don't know. There's something yeah. like you said. It's anime, but it is awesome. Yeah. And the feeling is very unique, as opposed to just being a big rocket with or a big big rocket, big robot with rockets, <laughs> which just feels more like normal at this point, I guess. Mm-hmm. So those were my favorites. Well, I mentioned briefly like respawn, uh, you know, made Apex Legends after this game. So I wondered. You know, are you looking for Titanfall 3? Like, is that going to get you hyped if it's announced? And would you like to see these two properties coexist or cross over at all? I don't know if you've played Apex Legends or if that's a game you've dabbled with. I've played Apex here and there. Nothing, like, really in-depth. And I like that it feels like Titanfall 2. I think that's what kind of sucked me in the most was that it still felt like I was playing Titanfall 2. But yeah, if if Respawn were to come out tomorrow and say, hey, Titanfall 3 is dropping this fall, I will put down like five pre-orders so fast because, like I said, I really love this game, um, you know, and just the 
if they bring back Jack and somehow bring back BT, I know people, I mean, spoilers were already in there, but if they somehow bring those two back and they just continue that, that formula, um, and even just bring in some characters that maybe we've seen in Apex or some of the, the factions that we've seen in Apex Legends come in there, it'll be cool to see that tie in and it would be good to kind of help bridge, uh, those two, those, those two player bases. Cause I remember when Apex Legends came out, Titanfall 2's multiplayer or like online player base got a huge boost because people were like, wait a minute, Titanfall 2 came before this. Well, I'm going to go play that and then come back to Apex. And so I think it'd be cool to for them to do that and uh, have some different ways that bridge it uh, together. But yeah, if Titanfall 3 gets announced, I will lose my ever-loving mind and pre-order it multiple copies. Absolutely. Me too. Me too. Maybe we'll be playing together on PC by that point. Yes. <laughs> Come on, budget. Okay, Logan, this has been great, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's a joy to hear you talk games and to find out more about you and the Reformed Gamers. We mentioned the podcast, of course, that exists. Where can people find the podcast? Where can people find you on social media? Where can people follow you on Twitch? All that good stuff. Yeah, uh, the easiest way to get to all of TRG's stuff is to just go to thereformedgamers.com. Uh, from there, you'll see a, a panel that says about TRG and that has a links to all of our social media stuff, Twitter, Instagram, uh, the Facebook page and group. Um, and I think there's one more item on there, uh, but I can't think of, I can't remember if it's like, oh, it's our YouTube channel. That's what it is too. Thank you brain for remembering. So you can go there. That's the easiest way to get everything. It's all right there on our website. Easiest, uh, the, with easy access to get the stuff. Plus you can check out our retrospective articles. If you are feeling slightly nostalgic, uh, we put out a new article every Thursday that, uh, goes over like an older classic game. Like the most recent one we did was a monster rancher on PlayStation one. Um, so you guys can check that out there. And then as far as me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Theo Logan, T H E T H E O L O G A N. And you can find me on pretty much every other social media platform, uh, with that same name. I uh, stream on Twitch Every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we're doing the Summer of Justice series over there where we're playing through all of the Batman Arkham games. We just finished Arkham Asylum recently, and we'll be starting Arkham City here pretty soon, and that's probably going to take me all of July to play because that's such a big game. But yeah, I'd love to have you uh, swing by sometime, and we'll talk about video games and whatever else comes up. Awesome. Well, listeners, if you like what you heard here, I do want to ask you to please subscribe. Share us with your friends, follow us on Twitter and other social media. You can do that at The Games We Love, or you can find me personally at Aaron L. White. That's Aaron, E-L-W-H-I-T-E, on pretty much every platform I have that same name. I also stream on Twitch weekly and would love to have you follow and come chat about your favorite games or movies uh, or anything else that makes you happy. Here on the show, we definitely have more great conversations coming soon. We've still... Got several left in this first season, and so you're not going to want to miss those. As a reminder, if you leave a five-star review on your listening platform of choice, especially on Apple Podcasts, it definitely helps us grow and get noticed, bumps us up in the directories and such, and that would be much appreciated. Logan, thank you again so much for coming on and sharing your passion for games with us. It's been awesome. And everyone listening, thank you so much because this podcast is for you. We'll be back next week, and until then, get out there and fall in love with the game.